Well, we're glad to have Brother Kim with us tonight, Barbara, and, and son and daughter-in-law. Glad to have you guys. I went back and told Ken, I said, Ken, I went to the World War II Memorial. And in fact, Ken, I didn't tell you this part. The last time I walked around the memorial, I reached up and slapped Illinois in your honor. And I mean that, too. I did. I did. I walked up. Because they, what they do, they've got pillars around the memorial, and each one has a state on it, a state name on it, and two wreaths, bronze wreaths. And I went and touched it. And that was your honor, Ken. And uh, he's our last World War II vet. And it was just a real privilege to, to be there and experience that. Uh, like I say, you'll come away with a new appreciation for the freedom that we have. But anyway, so for those that were not here this morning, we want to go back and revisit just a little bit, not Jacob and Esau, but we want to go back and visit that thought that we had this morning, those five really dangerous words, if I don't, it won't. If I don't, it won't. And we're, for the ones who were not here, we're referring to the fact that, that there are times, and honestly and frankly, very often in the lives of grace people, in the lives of believers, where we think we have to help God out. That, that if, we don't, if we don't act, then God won't get the job done. And that, by the way, just popped in my brain. Romans chapter 12 is the perfect example of that because, you know, that's where, you know, where Paul wrote and God says, you know, vengeance is mine. I will pay, saith the Lord. And we love to get our hands when vengeance, when we think vengeance is necessary, we love to get our hands dirty. And we mess up every time we get our hands in God's pot. We mess up severely every time we get our hands in God's pot. And that is one time that we do that. So tonight I thought what we would do is we would look at three scriptures. Um, at least one of them is going to be very familiar to you. Probably the other two also. But look at it through the lens of if I don't, it won't. And see how, how it was handled by, a couple of times very clearly, how it was handled by Jesus, but also how it was handled by the people that were involved in it. Now, it occurred to me that the If I Don't, It Won't movement has a national anthem. Did you know that? It does, yes. And the national anthem for If I Don't, It Won't goes like this. And I won't sing it. I will read the words. And you'll pick it up pretty quickly. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled every, each and every highway. And much more than this, I did it my way. Regrets, I've had few. But then again, too few to mention. I did what I had. Does this not sound familiar? I did what I had to do and saw it through without exception. I planned, she, I planned, I planned, I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway, and more, much more than this, I did it my way. Yes, there were times, I'm sure you knew, when I bit off more than I could chew, but through it all, when there was doubt, I ate it up and spit it out. I faced it all, and I stood tall, and I did it my way. Way. And that is the national anthem, anthem of the people who say, I can't trust God to take care of it, so I've got to get my hand in that. And of course, that was sung in, I think, 1969 by Frank Sinatra, who made it famous, I did it my way. And the crowd is saying, the, 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 if I don't crowd, is saying, I did it 
my way. So we want to jump off then and look at three different scriptures tonight. Good examples, I believe, of what it looks like that if I don't take action, where the person's thought, if we don't take action, then, then perhaps whatever it needs to be done won't get done. Now, the counter, the antithesis, uh, the, the counter of uh, if I don't, it won't, I, I think probably is Matthew 6.33. And that's a familiar scripture again also. You know, it says this. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So if we will learn to live our lives in, in that way so that we seek God first, then leave all the details and all that stuff to him, well, you know what? We're going to be a lot happier. Amen? We're just going to be a lot happier as individuals and, of course, as Christians. So the first place we want to go is one I had in my notes this morning uh, that I just was going to throw a reference out. I don't think I mentioned it. If I did, I apologize. Often I don't remember uh, what I say and don't say. But the first scripture is Luke chapter 9, verse number 51 and 52. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 and 52. And the more I thought about this scripture, it involves several things. Um, it involves... It involves the worry that Jesus has somehow been affronted and offended. It involves that. Um, it involves a personal affront, a personal affront. And I, then I realized that all is wrapped up in prejudice, in prejudice. Uh, in fact, in racial prejudice, okay? When we get there, I'll point that out to you and let you see that. So in Luke chapter 9, verse number 51, again, I think I've, I've used this scripture before, I know. And so perhaps it'll be familiar to you, to, to you. So the Bible says, now it came to pass when the time had come for him, Jesus, capital H, to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, pause, because that really impacts the story as it's going to unfold in just a moment. You've got to understand that Jesus had one purpose for coming to the earth. And you need to really let that soak in. Jesus had one reason for coming to the earth. And that one reason was the redemption of man. He didn't come to he didn't come for his own agenda. He didn't come to, to make himself big and famous, to become a rock star. He did not come for any of that. He came as a rescuer and as a person of redemption, the savior of redemption for lost mankind. And when it says there, he set his face steadfastly, what that means was, was that nothing was going to detour him. Nothing was going to derail Jesus Christ from what was about to take place. Now listen, listen. If we can get that same mentality about the kingdom work, it will change us. Because so often we move into our, if I don't mood, you know, it, we move that motif that says, if I don't, it won't. Because, again, we get mired up in the quagmire of details that really don't matter. In the scope of eternity, so much of what we get all whooped up about does not matter at all. And yet we get all wrapped up in it. Relationships and church stuff and marriage stuff and family stuff and husband wife stuff and career stuff. All those things that really don't matter at all. So if we could just keep in mind, I share with my friends that I eat breakfast with on Wednesdays, you know, I told them, I said, you know, there is not a secular world and a spiritual world for the king, for the savior, for the saved. It is a one world deal. You know, everything we are is involved spiritually, whether it's your job, whether it's church or whether it's where you are in your neighborhood, your marriage, whatever it is. 
Everything falls under the umbrella of the spiritual for those who know Jesus Christ as Savior. So when it says that Jesus steadfastly set his face for Jerusalem, how amazing would it be if we could set our face steadfastly for kingdom work? And we're so laser focused. You know, someone once said, how is it that you can stand up there and preach and people are getting up and going to the bathroom and all? I know y'all were wondering that this morning, that little child ran across the front. And you know, so I just kept right on going. I know somebody was going... How does he do that? You don't look. You just keep zoned in, baby. You keep zoned in. So, you know, according to y'all, 97% of the congregation gets up and goes to the bathroom while I'm preaching. We are a church of weak bladders. There's no doubt about it. Church of weak bladders. But I don't see it. I don't see it. I just keep right on going. So if we could set our minds steadfastly for the kingdom, think how that would transverse and change us. Okay, so verse 52. So what happens is, the Bible says, and Jesus sent messengers before his face. In other words, he sent an advance party before him. And as they went, they entered a village of Samaritans to prepare for him. And this is very, very unusual, uh, very unique. You've got to understand to make this make sense and to really grab a hold of it is that there was a real bias and prejudice between Jews and Samaritans. Okay? And frankly, it's just like the black-white thing today. There are white people who don't like black, black people simply because they're black, and there are black people who don't like white people simply because they're white. And it was just a racial thing going on. Well, so it is with the Samaritans and the Jews. Jews hated Samaritans. How many? All. All. Samaritans hated Jews. How many? All. And it's just kind of unusual that they're going, a bunch of Jewish guys are going into a Samaritan village. And they send this advanced party in to prepare the way for Jesus, who is a Jew. Well, that might explain part of why what happens, happens. Look at verse number 53. And they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. Because Jesus, as a Jew, was going to Jerusalem in their mind to worship, in his mind to die a sacrificial death, they did not receive him. Now I'm going to tell you two things I think went on. Notice what I just said, by the way. Two things that I think went on. First off, I'm pretty sure that the messengers had an attitude. I just sort of think they did. I think they went into, because they were Jews... Because they were Jews and they were sent to a Samaritan village, I think they had an attitude. I think, I think they had an attitude that they, first off, Jews viewed the Samaritans as half-breeds and they viewed them as inferior. So I can imagine this advanced crew going into the Samaritan village with that superior attitude. You can almost smell it on them. And I'm quite certain that the Samaritans picked up on it pretty quickly. And so they, were felt, they felt judged. Again, I don't want to read too much in Scripture, but I can just—I have a feeling that's probably part of the situation. But the bottom line is, is when they show up, they're not well received. In fact, the Bible says that they did not receive him, Jesus, because his face was set toward the journey for Jerusalem. Well, now I think, if I figured out this afternoon as I was studying, that, that I really don't think James and John was on the advance party. I think the advance party went, okay, because he said they sent messengers. So I think they went ahead and they got rejected, okay, and then they came back and give the report. And I think James and John is standing there with Jesus as this report is given. So the Bible says. And when his disciples, James and John, now we've got to pause there because it plays a part in the role of this, is what was the nickname of James and John? Do you all remember? Sons of Thunder. Sons of Thunder. Okay? Now, they had an attitude problem of themselves. 
They were burly. They were angry. They had an anger issue. They were, they were buckle up the knuckles and go at it kind of guys. That's just what they were. They were known for their ability to flare and flare quickly. Okay? All right, that's, that's important to the story. Okay? So his disciples, James and John, saw this, heard this, and they said, Now, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? So the response of James and John to this one, this personal affront to Jesus, the personal affront to the messengers, and their own prejudice was, these people deserve to die. And they were prepared for to take charge of the situation. If I don't, it won't. And if they had the ability, I wrote down, if they had or could, there's probably little proof that they could call down fire from heaven. I doubt that could happen. But if they could have, they would have been wrong in doing so. In fact, I wondered, I asked myself, if they somehow could muster up this faith, whatever it would be, for them to call down fire from heaven and people died, I wonder if God would count it as murder. Because it was the wrong thing. It was just wrong. And so, so they, they, they say, Jesus, our first impulse is, because of our prejudice and because they have offended you and they have offended our friends, let's punish them and judge them. And if possible, let's kill them. Ouch. See, when we, when, we, when we mess around and we, and we want to take control, when we want to act in ungodly ways other than the ways of grace like God has commanded us to be, a grace people, I've used that phrase several times today, if, if we act outside the, the arena of grace, so often that's how we act. Let's, let's hurt people. Let's judge people. Let's condemn people. Well, they got a really sharp response from Jesus. He turned and rebuked them. And he said, now listen carefully. This is probably the most important scripture that we're going to read tonight. And you need to underline your Bible. You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. And when we act this way, it means we've forgotten who we belong to. We, we, it's almost like we have spiritual amnesia and we forgot who we belong to. And we forgot that we are a people of grace. Question, can I just ask you a question? Is there any way, if John and James could have done what they wanted to do, that is call down fire from heaven, do you see any grace in that at all? Okay, so in your life, can you look back recently or in the distant past or can you foresee yourself in the near future or the distant future where you cannot see grace at all? If you're in a situation and you're, choose, you're having to make decisions, okay, and you've, again, you'll probably find yourself with, if I don't, it won't. If I don't do something about this, then they're going to get off and this and that. Do you see grace? If you can't see grace in a situation you're involved in, you need to ask yourself why. I mean, in your marriage, in your parenting, in your careers, and if you're a supervisor, if you're an employee, or er, you know, whatever you are, you should see grace in every faction of your life. And if you are angry tonight at someone, if you're mad at someone, if you've been mad, you have to look back and go, did I see any grace? If you didn't see grace, then you probably were acting in the motif of, if I don't, it won't. And you're outside the will of God. Okay, shoot, I'll just put it out there. You sinned. And if you're that way, not your sin. 
Anybody afraid of a snake? Shoot that thing. All right. He turned to you and said, you know what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man, verse 56, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them, to rescue them, to redeem them. And what did they do? They went to another village. You know, they simply, Jesus said, let's go. Let's go to another village. If they said no, we'll go to another village. Very powerful. So keep in mind in our, in our grace lives that like the Savior, we've not come to judge and destroy. We have, now, we can't save them, but we can be a people of the gospel. We can share the good news. We can share the good news. Whoever it is. Whoever it is. Even if you think you have reason not to, by grace... You should, would, and can. Amen? All right. So, snapshot number two. Now, snapshot number two, again, we see Jesus in danger. And so, the, the, the response of the, of the disciples would be called appropriate with the exception of what we know about the story. Now, we're going to fast forward to the garden. We're in the garden scene. Um, they've prayed, and they're leaving the garden now. And Judas and his, his men, uh, his posse, show up. And this is taken from Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, verse number, starting in verse number 47. So we're in the garden. It's the night before the crucifixion, on the way basically to the trial because Jesus is fixed to be arrested. So the Bible says, while he, in capital H, Jesus... While he was still speaking, behold, a multitude and he who was called Judas. Now, I want, to, I want to pause there. Can you get that in your mind? Can you get your arms around that? Now, even though you're Jesus and you know, okay? Even you're Jesus and you know. But can you get your arms around there? You expect the posse because, you know, the, the high priest guys and all those guys. You expect all that crowd there. But can you imagine, even with Jesus, the knowledge he had of Judas, you know, seeing him coming how painful and hurtful that probably was, how hard that was, I think it would be very difficult. So he was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them and drew near to, 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 uh, near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Now again, Jesus already knew that. We know that from the supper account. We got that. I think he's just reminding Judas what's going on. He knows what's going on. Well, Verse 49 is when it gets personal. And when those around him saw what was going to happen. Okay, there's the setup. They knew what was about to happen. So they felt compelled to act. And often in our lives, when we see something that may be bad in our eyes about to happen, we feel compelled to act. Now, the problem is, again, those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Be still... And know that I am God. The children of Israel at the Red Sea, you know, stand still and see the power and the glory of God. Okay? So they see something. They know they can figure out what's happening because here's a band of police officers and they are there to arrest Jesus. They figured out real quickly. So when they, when they saw him, what was going to happen, they said to him, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Now, isn't that funny? The first response, now watch. These men... These men who have walked with Jesus for three years and who knew what he taught, if someone slaps you, what do you do? Yeah, if someone curses you, you bless them. 
you bless them. If someone spitefully uses you, you bless them. For three years, they've heard his gospel. And the very first response was, can we draw the sword? Because their idea, in fact, we see it happen. The idea is, if we don't, it won't. Jesus wasn't going to defend himself, so they felt like they needed to defend themselves. So, Lord, Lord, should we take up the sword and watch? They don't even wait for his response. They don't even wait and say, for Jesus to go yes or no, as soon as they ask the question, verse 50, and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. Without waiting at all, they did it. Because someone thought and said, if I don't take care of this, it won't happen. In this case, he probably had a weapon. Because I'm the one with the weapon, then this is a weapon situation, so therefore I should act. And he did. Did not wait on Jesus' response. He simply acted the way he thought best. Ever done that before? You ever get a mess before? Have you ever done what you thought was best and didn't wait for God and you end up in a mess? Now, I thought about something today. Look at verse 51. And Jesus answered, after he whacked his ear off. <laughs> I thought it's kind of funny. By the way, in case you're wondering, he wasn't aiming for his ear. This could have easily been a case of murder as assault. Jesus could well be fixing to a resurrection. Peter, and by the way, we know it's Peter from another gospel account. If Peter had been a better shot, there had been a resurrection and not a, not a plastic surgery. He wasn't aiming for the ear. But Jesus answered and said, permit even this. Hey guys, watch. Power down. Power down. People who are thinking, if I don't, it won't have power up. I've got to take control. I've got to take charge. Power down. That's what Jesus says to his disciples. Power down. Permit even this. This. Why do he say that? Because there's a bigger plan in progress. There was something bigger than they could see. Jesus understood, I've come to seek and to save that which was lost. He had an appointment with destiny on a cross, and this was part of the plan. And Jesus knew it was part of the plan. It wasn't time to be whacking ears off or heads off. It was a time to be trusting the Father. So permit this. Now my question is this. How often do we act? How often do we act and God has a bigger plan and we do our best to thwart it and don't even know it? How often has God been trying to do something? You know, it just popped my brain. Have you ever watched these movies before where there's a police sting going on and someone comes in and messes it up by, you know, by, you know, Spider-Man did it in a couple of his movies, you know, where he comes in and attacks the bad guy and it was a police sting? How often we thwarted the plans of God trying to be the hero? God doesn't need heroes. He needs obedient servants. Permit even this. And he touched his ear and healed him. You see something there? Can I ask you a question? Did the high priest in that bunch like Jesus? Go like this. Did they like his followers? 
What do you think they would have done to the guy who lobbed off the high priest servant's ear? You think they're going to overlook it? No, there's going to be a trial. And chances are he might be on a cross next door to Jesus for assault. Jesus is a masterful job of cleaning up the mess. I'm glad in God's grace he's good at cleaning up our messes. I don't go in grocery stores very often. Sorry, Gary. Me and grocery stores, I like what they sell. I don't like going in there. But unless Gary's working. But, you know, you, you're in there and you hear, clean up on aisle three, clean up on aisle three, and some kid is, you know, knocked over a whole pickle display and there's pickles everywhere, and they have a guy comes in and cleans up the mess. I am grateful for God's grace where he cleans our messes up, and that's exactly what he did here. When he sticks that guy's ear back on, he not only he restores the ear, he keeps his disciples safe. You see that? I'm glad he did. And I'm glad he cleans up my messes. When I insist on doing things my way and I make a mess of things, he cleans it up. And by the way, yes, a lot. Yes, a lot. So that leads us to our last one. And that's Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Now, Wilma, I need to tell what we talked about earlier. Okay? Now, I chose in this scripture, Luke chapter 10, verse number 38. And this is the one scripture that you're very familiar with. Um, and so I was standing there talking to Lodema and to Wilma. And the topic of Micah um, popped up. And Micah, of course, is now serving the Lord in Tampa. And they flew in, I think, with a helicopter and airplane and got her out of there and took her to Alabama. And, um, and, we were, and Wilma was explaining, rightfully so, how concerned she was, how worried she was. And I said, Wilma, I said, do you realize how much that plays in our sermon today? Because another side of, if I don't, it won't, is worry. Is it not? Amen. Is it not? Which, by the way, Jesus says, you can't change the color of your hair or how tall you are, you know, by worrying. But it's just another side of this. And so, so I said, oh, my goodness. Well, there you go. That ties it in. And the story is about a woman who was excessively worried about the details. Well, let's look. And you know the story. Luke 10, 38. Well, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home. Now, Remember this morning's comments about the natural order. You remember that? The natural order is that the older son receives the birthright, double the inheritance, and also receives the blessing from the father. He's basically made the new patriarch of the family. Okay, that's the natural order. Well, there's a natural order here. In the olden days of the days of the Bible, much even more than today by far, when you went to a, a woman's house, a, a man and woman's house, or in this case, a woman's house, the, the matriarch of the family kicked into hospitality mode and took charge of the situation of providing for the guests. The natural thing for Martha to do, and I think she was gifted in this, by the way, but the natural thing for Martha to do was to serve. Okay? So natural things matter. All right, here we go. Well, Marcia, Martha opened up her home to him. Now, she had a sister. Now, not only was the matriarch's job to, to serve, 
any other female in the house would obviously contribute to that. So there are two sisters. There's Martha and Mary, and both of them had a natural order obligation. Community expected them to both go to the kitchen and to serve. It was expected to happen. All right, so that's the setup. All right, well, here we go. She had a sister named Mary who, rather than following the natural order, followed a different order, and she walked in when Jesus was reclining at the table and started conversing and teaching. She goes in there and sits at his feet listening to what he says. Okay, so now you get the setup. Here's Jesus and the group, okay? Here is Mary, and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, and in there is Martha, who chose to follow the natural order. But remember, grace doesn't always follow the natural order. So she's in there banging pots around, cooking, and she looks around and realizes she's by herself. Okay, well, here we go. Martha became very distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Wilma, she was worried about doing her job. She was worried where was the food going to come from, how long would it cook, what tableware was she going to use, what silverware was she going to use, all the things that a hostess worry about. Martha is worrying about all the things. And she had all these distractions that were going on because she was following the natural order. So, having looked around and seen that the other helper wasn't there, okay, she got a little fired up, okay, and then the Bible says that she goes to Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to come and help me. Mary is not playing by the rules. Mary's not playing by the natural order. She has an ob- Now, see, we do this in church. You know, why, you know, he doesn't do his part. She doesn't do his part. Why don't they keep the nursery? Why don't they not keep the nursery? Why don't they do this? Why don't they sing the choir? Why, why, why? We worry about everybody else. If everybody just worry about themselves, they'd probably be a happier family. Amen. So she's all fired up. Tell her to come and help me. Well, I'm not sure what Martha was expecting, but as a bet in Baptist, I bet you six to one it wasn't this. Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha, Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things. That's what we do if I don't, it won't. If you're a worry ward, mark it down. This is a gene that you carry. You want to take care of the details. If I don't, it won't. It was hard for Martha to imagine Jesus taking care of this situation, so she felt like she had to take care of it. Mary sure wasn't going to move. She was planted at the feet of Jesus. But look what Jesus says. Few things are needed. Martha, there's a lot less to worry about than you think. And then look what he says. Or indeed, only one. Can anybody guess what that one thing was? What was the one thing to worry about? And that's the wrong word. I know it is. What was the one priority? It wasn't cooking. Now, I'm all about fried chicken. But it wasn't cooking. It wasn't how the table was going to be set. The only priority at that moment was sitting at the feet of Jesus. There was going to be a time when Martha would need to go cook probably at which time probably Mary would have joined her. But at that time, the real natural order was 
to sit at the feet of Jesus. One thing. One thing. Mary has, verse 42 in the middle, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Martha, in this case, Mary is right and you're not. Mary, quit worrying about all those details. Forget the natural order. Reel in your hospitality genes for a minute and just sit down and enjoy the Savior. Sometimes we need to reel in our emotions and the things we worry about and just enjoy the Savior. You don't, there's some things about me you don't know, but I'm fixing to tell you. you he'll, David will confirm this for you. It's not uncommon for me at all to walk across the stage when I get in the morning, when I come in, and straighten up the Kleenex boxes if one's been crushed, I'll try to puff it back out. I look over here in the flags. If they're not exactly in the right position, I'll walk over and do all that. You know why? I worry about details. Perhaps we would be better just to enjoy the Savior. To enjoy the Savior. So as we leave tonight, as we go our way, keep in mind, if I don't, it won't. Five dangerous words that will lead you to bondage and perhaps to sin. And they're a great indicator of a lack of faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Well, God, thank you for sharing with us again from the Word, and thank you for putting these stories in the Word of God so we can enjoy them tonight. And you know, Father, it's a time that I personally feel as a teacher that we just stumbled into something that's really important. And I pray we'll hang on to it. I pray we'll tuck it away into our hearts and not let Satan steal it away. Whether it's things in the church or things outside the church, it does not matter. Help us understand as, as you are God, you are Savior, you are Lord. You're powerful and you've got a plan. And the last thing we want to do is thwart your plan. So help us to wait. Help us to wait. Help us to be still and trust you. Now, Father, if there's any unfinished business we need to take care of tonight at the altar, we already prayed that for the offering, but now at the altar, if there's something we need to tell you about, and Father, I pray tonight we'll do that very business. And Jesus, I pray this in your name.